Today on Blue 58, the Packers are still in the hunt for a playoff spot, but how realistic is it? Let's play out the scenarios that have to happen. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It's been a busy week in Green Bay. After the bye week, the Packers are making some moves. Two on, two off on the practice squad. They have signed offensive lineman Gene DeLance and center Michael Mennett to the practice squad and released wide receiver Dede Westbrook and defensive lineman Jack Heflin. We'll start with the guys coming in first. Uh, Gene DeLance, undrafted out of Florida, has bounced around the league quite a bit already this year as a rookie. He started his undergraduate career at Texas. Bit small for a tackle, could end up at guard. Six foot four, 303 pounds, does test pretty well. We won't bore you with all the numbers, though. Michael Mennett was with the Packers over the summer just a bit. He is a center. Do the Packers need more of those? Who knows? This could be for any number of reasons, but they, they seem to like him because they brought him back after he was gone now for most of the season. The flip side of this is, I think, where the, the real story is. Uh, Dede Westbrook on the way out, not super surprising, on that front, Romeo Dobbs is getting healthy. They seem to like Travis Fulgham on the practice squad, plus they still have Juwan Winfrey and Jeff Cotton. I didn't realize they were carrying four wide receivers on the practice squad. That is a crazy amount of receivers, but they did have a bunch of guys hurt, so they needed bodies just to practice. But still, that's a lot, it seems like. Heflin, though, is a bit of a surprise. Maybe it shouldn't be, but the Packers have handled their defensive line very strangely all year. Heflin has been on the practice squad since the end of training camp, as has Chris Slayton, who also, I thought, had a pretty good preseason. Counting those practice squad guys, they've had eight guys all around years, around all year. So you've had Slayton and you've had Heflin, uh, but up on the 53-man roster, we've had Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Jaron Reed, Devontae Wyatt, TJ Slayton, and Jonathan Ford. Of those guys... Only Clark, Lowry, and Reed really play significant snaps. Slayton plays the next most, and Wyatt, of course, as we've talked about, barely plays. Ford has been inactive all season long, and then you've got Slayton and Heflin, who have been on the practice squad all year with no elevations. Now, the defensive line hasn't been good, and for a team that can't stop the run, this seems odd to me. It seems like they're in a very very much a we've-tried-nothing-and-we're-all-out-of-ideas approach to the defensive line. They've got all these bodies around, but they only want to play Clark, Lowry, and Reed a bunch. They'll play TJ Slayton to spell Kenny Clark, and then they won't just play Devontae Wyatt pretty much for any reason, it seems. What's going on? It doesn't seem like there's a plan in place here, and now you've kept two guys around who aren't going to play on the practice squad all year long. Heflin, you know, he's probably nothing special as a player, but he made it to the 53 last year, and he was at least respectable. Reed and Lowry can't hardly say that. Why keep these three guys around, Ford, Slayton, and Heflin, if you're not going to do anything with them all season long? Are we just burning roster spots for no reason? It kind of seems that way. The Packers are trying to make the postseason, though. Will Jack Heflin or Chris Slayton help them do that? It's kind of beside the point. Because Carl Ryan enters or emails in with this question. Bit of a long one, so stick with me here. He writes, how should we align our expectations for what is attainable by the pieces the Packers have and the road before them for the remainder of the season? Do the Packers have a playoff run in them as long as they execute to their ability? Easier said than done, but hopefully you get my point. I do. Or should we consider their best to still fall short and then it would take some lucky breaks and bubblegum to make it to January? Good question. We talked a while back about embracing the possible 
And I think it's time to revisit that. So thank you, Carl, for that very good question. So where do we stand as of today? According to the New York Times playoff odds calculator, the Packers have about a 6% chance to make the playoffs. And we're going with that model probably from here on out because you can do a lot of things like moving around who wins, who loses, stuff like that. Depending on what exact simulations you run or other people you may ask, 538, ESPN, it can be a little bit higher. I've seen it as high as 10%. Depending on which things break which way, it could be a slightly higher, it could be slightly lower. The important thing is, if the Packers win out, win their next four games, 15, 16, 17, and 18, all in a row, their odds climb to about 50%, maybe a bit higher, depending on a couple of other things. But if they lose any of their last four games, their odds drop to well under 5%. In the very best situation, if you just run the simulations again and again and again, just seeing what plays out and how, just with the Packers winning out on the New York Times playoff odds calculator, I got a 61% chance of the Packers making the playoffs. That was running like 300,000 simulations. I didn't have to do it one at a time, thankfully. 61% is not that great great of odds. And the way those numbers broke... The Packers still didn't get in. Everything went their way, or most things went their way, and they still fell in that 39% chance of not getting into the playoffs. So no matter what the Packers do, it's still only slightly better than a coin toss that they get in. If they win out, if they win every game from here to the end of the season, they're still only a little bit better than 50-50. They're going to need help from the Giants, the Seahawks, and the Commanders. Fortunately, two of those teams play in the same division. The Giants and Commanders can compete with each other and help the Packers out a little bit there. If those teams would happen to lose out and the Packers win out, they have a 99% chance of making the playoffs. But even if those teams do lose out and the Packers lose again, their odds plummet. Everything centers on the Packers winning out. You need a ton of help from the Giants, the Seahawks, and the Commanders, and the Packers absolutely have to win out. So, to Carl's question, can it be done? Absolutely. I think it can. Executing to their ability, I think the Packers can score with anybody. We saw them more or less go toe-to-toe against the Eagles. They were an onside kick away from getting a chance to drive for a tie. Of their remaining opponents, though, three of the four can put up a lot of points. I'm not really sure what to think about the Rams right now, but depending on who the Dolphins have healthy, they could put up 50 points easily. Depending on what the Vikings are playing for, well, they can move the ball pretty well, too. And the Lions just seem like they want to have a rock fight with everybody. They can score points. If the Vikings can't get the one seed and have the NFC North won by Week 17, there's not a whole lot for them to play for in Week 17, but that may not necessarily help the Packers either. So they're going to have to score a lot, and they're going to have to make sure they win each of these final four games. So to put a bow on this, what should our expectations be? If you want the Packers to make the playoffs, 
I think you go into these final four weeks preparing for disappointment, but knowing there is a reason for hope. A little bit better than a coin toss is still a far sight better than quite a few teams in the NFL at this point. And if the Packers went out and lose that coin toss, well, at least you went out, at least you went down swinging. The Rams are banged up. The Dolphins are over, all over the place. The Vikings, who knows what they'll be playing for by then. And the Lions, who knows what you're getting from them on a weekly basis. That's a pretty good reason for hope from there. If a big part of this whole picture is going to be the Packers taking care of their own business, that's a pretty good set of circumstances for the Packers doing just that. About as good as you could hope for. If you got to win four games to close out the season, that is a winnable four-game stretch. However... If you are among the people who want the Packers to look ahead to 2023, I think just be patient. If the Packers lose one of these next three games, that's pretty much going to be it. There is a pretty good chance they may not be entirely mathematically eliminated until the final week of the season. But I think you're going to get to see Jordan Love at some point if the Packers can't handle their business here over the next month. Winning a month's worth of games in a row is a pretty big ask, I think, for the 2022 Packers. The offense, I think, is in a pretty good spot. They're coming together down the stretch, I think, kind of how we thought they might. The defense, however, well, that remains a bit of a work in progress, to put it kindly to Mr. Joe Barry. To put it more realistically, They haven't played well this season, and now they are without their best defensive player in Rashawn Gary. Can you do enough against these offenses that can score over the final month of the season to keep your offense in it? Hmm. I don't think it's pessimistic. I think it's merely honest to just say there's reason to be skeptical about that. And if you're wanting the Packers to look ahead to 2023, I think just wait. I think the numbers are going to probably work in your favor. It's not impossible. And you've got enough doomsaying people out there that I don't have to sit here and just say, well, the Packers are probably not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, we've covered that. We know. We know. But it is still possible. Is this a world right now where you want the Packers to end up in the playoffs? Well, that's for you to decide. Who knows what you'll see the Packers do on national television if they end up in the playoffs. Maybe they surprise somebody, get the divisional round, and then who knows from there. Or maybe they just get curb stomped in the, in the wild card round and we say, well, that last month of the season was fun. And it probably would be fun. Winning four games in a row, Aaron Rodgers coming down the stretch here at age 39 in a blaze of glory. I mean, there's something to be said for that, I think. The odds are against it. And again, if you're hoping for the Packers to get a look at their 2023 team here, you may have a chance here in the relatively near future. Before we get to the back half of the podcast, I want to take a second and shout out new patron Clint Johnson. He joined the team today. Appreciate you coming on board. As a result of him joining the the team, you get access to the Discord server, Clint Johnson. So thank you for doing that. And you could have that as well. Get a chance to talk with Packers fans from all around the world. Stay on top of everything going on with the Packers and just have a Darn good time doing it. We talk about some stuff outside of the football world there, too. Everything from art projects we're working on to what's on the grill this weekend to Dungeons and Dragons and everything in between. It's a lot of fun. Come hang out with some Packers fans from all around the world. Head to patreon.com slash thepowersweep to get started. 
We got the smallest bit of news on Jordan Love this week, and actually it's not even really news. But according to a bit of a throwaway line from Jason Wildey, shortly after the the Packers-Bears game, Jordan Love says that if he's not in line to start next year, he will probably ask to be traded. Or at least that's what Wildey's sense was based on a conversation prior to the Packers-Bears game. Wildey did have that conversation with Love ahead of the Packers' last game, which led to a piece he wrote in the Wisconsin State Journal this week. Interestingly enough, that piece doesn't really mention that part of the discussion at all, which seems to me like something that uh, you would want to bring up. But Wildey did go on his radio show this week and spend some time talking about that particular part of his conversation with Love. Well, and here's what he had to say. I think he very clearly... Uh, does not, even though he wouldn't flat out say it, he does not want to sit for another year. So if we get to year four and Rodgers does come back, I am fairly confident that he will seek a trade. I am fairly confident that he will seek a trade. Thanks first and foremost to the Poor Man's Packers podcast for surfacing that clip, as well as a couple people in the Power Sweeps Discord server for passing it along. Guys over there also had a worthwhile discussion of Love's options going forward. Give that a look sometime. They're doing solid work over on that podcast. So, to Wildy's little revelation there. Is this new? Well, yes and no. Considering it comes from someone who has actually talked face-to-face with Jordan Love about his plans for next year and beyond, it's as fine a point as Jordan Love has put on his stance without actually hearing from him directly. It is not Jordan Love saying into a microphone or a TV camera, I would like to be traded if I'm not the starter in Green Bay next year. So in a sense, that is fairly noteworthy. However, we have also had some on-the-record quotes from him along these lines before. Rob Domovsky had an interesting exchange with Love back in November, November 13th in particular, and wrote a little bit of an exchange that went a little bit something like this. He posed it as a bit of like a faux conversation between himself and Love. So what if Rodgers decides to play another year? Reading from the piece now. Quote, who knows, Love said recently. Another two years? Quote, we'll see, he said. Either scenario could mean Love never becomes the Packers starting quarterback and ends up playing somewhere else. Quote, it's a possibility, end quote, he said. To date, Love has played the backup role much the same way Rodgers did in 2005, 2006, and 2007 behind Brett Favre. Rodgers never had to say what he would do if Favre returned to the Packers in 2008 because Favre was traded to the New York Jets. Perhaps he would have asked for a trade. Love wasn't ready to say whether he would, but he left open the possibility. Now here's the money quote from Love. Quote, we'll see, he said again. He continues, I would obviously be in the fourth year of my contract, and it would be the team's possibility of picking up my fifth year. It's really on them to see what kind of moves they want to make, what they want to do with the future, end quote. So between that and love, we do have a pretty good idea what he says he wants to do for the future. He's putting it all on the team. He wants to see what they want to do. And I think the team is getting to the point where they might have to sit down and say, hey, Jordan, this is what we're planning to do. You can feel however you want to feel about that, but this is the plan. I think three years you can pretty fairly justify saying, okay, we're we're going to just take this as it comes. But love is in the point of his career where he's got to start thinking a little bit about his wallet. 
next offseason we're going to have the deadline where the Packers need to pick up his fifth-year option. He probably wants to know what's coming beyond that because if he is if he is the starting or if he was the starting quarterback to this point, we'd probably be talking about an actual contract extension heading into this offseason. He would be standing to make tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed. Probably hundred of million dollars. He's not going to get two hundred million dollars guaranteed, not at this point. But there is a significant amount of cash that would be coming his way if he was a starting quarterback at this point and if he was playing well. Of course, he's always going to say that he would play well because that's just how NFL players are wired. But I think you take my meaning here. He needs to start thinking about that big free agency money that would be coming his way if he was getting a chance to play. So when is that chance to play going to come? And what does he have to do to get it? Because I think if you're Jordan Love, I think you you say to the Packers, all right, it's been three years, I've been the good soldier. What do you really want from me? Because you are hurting my career if I'm doing this much longer. Because I would like to cash in on some of that quarterback money that people get. I mean, we've seen some fairly, I don't want to say mediocre quarterbacks. We've seen some guys that are basically just adequate starters get quite a bit of money. I mean, Kirk Cousins has gotten by his entire career just being the answer to the, well, it could be worse than fill-in-the-blank question. You could do worse than Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins says, you're darn right you could. Give me a fully guaranteed contract because it could be a lot worse than me. Jordan Love has got to be looking at contracts like that and saying, well, if Kirk Cousins can get that much, I could at least get X if I'm a competent starting quarterback. We're not even talking about guys being super duper stars. We're just being guys just being competent. Being competent and having potential are two of the ways you can make a ton of money in the NFL. And Love has got to be getting to the point where he's thinking, I would enjoy making a ton of money. Because his time is coming one way or another. And he would like to have an opportunity to really ratchet up the the possibility that he makes those higher-end contract sort of numbers. If he demanded a trade, if the Packers commit to Rodgers in 2023, I would not blame him at all. I guess the, the bottom line of all this, even if it isn't that groundbreaking or that new, is that the Packers have some Really interesting quarterback conversations to have this offseason. They're also going to have to have a conversation, I think, about their defensive coordinator. And I would like to to take a second and just throw a couple of names at you here because I'm, I'm starting to think about this a little bit too. An early look, consider this, at some defensive coordinator candidates. What are the Packers going to be looking for in a defensive coordinator? I think they're probably going to want to stick with someone from the Vic Fangio tree because... Matt LaFleur specifically went out of his way to try to get someone who could run that kind of defense when he hired Joe Barry. So they're probably going to go down that road again, I would think. And they're probably going to want to find someone that LaFleur has some connections to. This gets pretty hard. That's That second part does get pretty hard. And I would encourage him to look beyond that and probably look beyond the Fangio tree too, because I think there's some really good options who run some slightly different sort of schemes that may actually fit the Packers' talent a little bit better than what they've got right now because they've got a bunch of defensive backs who like playing man, and the Fangio stuff is not necessarily a man-heavy scheme, but 
that's a, a different discussion. But I would encourage him to just look beyond the guys that he has direct connections to because you could use a little bit of a little bit of philosophical diversity, I think. And that seems like a good way to get it. Personally, I'd be looking for someone young and on the upswing. Let's just say somebody under the age of 45. Somebody who really hasn't had an opportunity to be a defensive coordinator before. Let's give them a shot. Let's take a big swing on somebody for once. Because, well, the the last few opportunities the Packers have had to make big swings at the defensive coordinator position, job, whatever you want to call it, they really haven't. Now, back in 2009, Dom Capers was a pretty big swing. And 2009 to, well, 2012 or so, it worked pretty well. Beyond that, not so well. The big swing would have been to move on from Dom Capers, and they they finally did that after we'd hemmed and hawed and gone back and forth for a, a long, long time and then chipped half the defensive talent out the door. But that's a discussion again for a different day. But the Packers have since had a couple opportunities to swing big. They did try to swing big in 20, what was it, 20, 2018 when they hired Mike Pettin because Mike McCarthy's first choice for that job, well, you know who it was? It was Vic Fangio. He wanted to talk to him first. Fangio turned him down. So they end up with Mike Pettin instead. In 2021, they have a chance to do something really big and went after Jim Leonard. They swung big and missed. Leonard turned him down. LaFleur had another opportunity to take a big swing, and he went with the ultra-conservative choice in Joe Barry instead of trying somebody new and untested in Ajiro Averro. Well, Averro is leading one of the league's very best defenses this year, and Joe Barry is, well, you know. So with these sorts of frameworks in place, what does that get us? Based on my research right now, a lot of compromises. Mostly on the does he have connections to Lafleur sort of question, but there, you know, there are some promising candidates out there. And again, a lot more if you go outside the Fangio tree. But let's start with these three or four for now, just kind of roughly following those parameters. The first guy I'd like to talk to talk about is Denard Wilson. He's currently the defensive pass game coordinator and defensive backs coach for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's 40 years old, and I like him because he has a long history of progressive experience. Now, he briefly played as an NFL player at a practice squad stint with Washington back in 2004. Then he served for several years as a scout with the Bears, 2008 to 2011. Broke into coaching with the St. Louis Rams as the defensive quality control coach. Uh, was a defensive backs coach in 2015 and 16. Jumped to the New York Jets to coach their defensive backs in 2017 and 18. Got a bump up to their passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach in 19 and 20. Then moved to Philadelphia to be their defensive backs coach in 2021 and 2022. And then has held his current position uh, as the passing game coordinator and defensive backs coach this year alone. I like that kind of experience. I like a guy who has grown, who has learned a lot of different things, who's got some unusual experience being a personnel guy. That's interesting to me. And honestly, he hasn't been doing this coaching stuff all that long. He's really still in that learning and information gathering point of his career I would like to see him start implementing some of that knowledge, and I think a guy in his mold is not a bad option for a defensive coordinator coach. The other guy I'd like to talk about 
within this first category is Chris Shula. Now, Shula's only 36, but he too has had fairly progressive experience under a bunch of different defensive coordinators. He got his coaching start in the college ranks as an assistant linebackers coach at Ball State in 2010. He was a graduate assistant for Indiana from 2011 through 2013. Then he was the defensive coordinator at very small school John Carroll in 2014. He jumped to the Chargers to be their defensive quality control coach for 2015 and 2016. Then he got a start with the Rams in 2017 as an assistant outside linebackers coach. From there, he's moved up to the full-on outside linebackers coach. He took Joe Barry's job as the linebackers coach for the Rams in 2021 after Barry jumped to Green Bay. And since then, he has coached the uh, the passing game defense for the Rams and has been their defensive backs coach. So he's worked under John Pagano in San Diego, then Brandon Staley in the in Los Angeles, and also Raheem Morris in Los Angeles. And interestingly enough, he took Joe Barry's job in 2021. Now, we're projecting with both of these guys. Neither of them have had coordinator-level experience outside of college before, but they have both served under successful defensive coordinators and have had and have demonstrated progressive experience from from low level jobs to higher level you know coordinator jobs on the defensive side of the ball over the span of a few years. I think that's a pretty good archetype to look for. If it's not one of these guys, I would like to find a guy along those lines. Then if you want to get really wacky, there's two other options out there. First, since things aren't going particularly well in Denver overall, I think we might want to keep half an eye on Ajiro Averro. He is Denver's defensive coordinator, of course, age 41. If Nathaniel Hackett would get fired, and if Averro doesn't get a head coaching gig, I say go all in on trying him again. Our thoughts on why you'd want to try a guy like him are pretty well established, dating back to 2021. I think history shows that he would have been a pretty pretty great hire. And if nothing else, he's got some different perspectives since he hasn't done the job or hadn't done it before. He's not just some retread. He's a guy who's going to to really grow, really have an opportunity to grow, if you want to put it that way. That's what we're looking for here on this defense because they're going to be in growth phase for a little while as they retool some things on that side of the ball. You might as well get a guy who's going to grow into the role there too. The other option This is, I think, even more of a long shot, but if Brandon Staley would get fired in Los Angeles, the head coach of the Chargers, you might want to take a look at their defensive coordinator, Ronaldo Hill. He's a former NFL player, has experience that's along the same sort of lines as Denard Wilson, except he's actually done the top job too. Let's see if he can really continue to grow. It hasn't necessarily been been great for him, but I think he's still a young enough guy and Injury-wise, things have been bad enough for the Chargers that I I don't really want to blame their defensive failures on him, such as they are. But again, it's that sort of young mind with that progressive experience that I think you should be looking for. Are any of these guys good coaches? How would I really know? But I think looking at coaches who have grown in this sort of way will put us on the right track for someone the Packers might want to look into should they decide to part ways with Joe Barry here in a couple of weeks.
That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.